Let me tell you a story of a new world that is coming. It is the story where brokenness is mended and justice is complete. It is a story where hope becomes reality and love has free reign. It is the story of a future that is whole, where all creation is set right. It is a story of a worthy redeemer making everything new. Good morning, Element. It's so good to see your faces this morning. I have to say, it might be my favorite bumper we've ever done here. It just gets me so excited every time. Yes, it's because my children do the voiceover, but also because I'm really excited to study this story together. So I have been looking forward to this series for quite some time now. Um, this one's kind of been on the docket, kind of percolating in our minds and hearts and waiting for the right season, for the right time. And I'm really encouraged that today is the day and this is the time where we get to engage this conversation together. Because this conversation about hope and about the future and about the one true narrative of redemption, it's so important, right? It changes everything. It changes everything about the way we live here on this earth. So kids, hopefully you guys got your handouts over there. We do have a memory verse for this series. So we're going to put it up and let's all say it together, kids and adults alike, Revelation 21.5. Here we go. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Great job, guys. Great job. So that's our memory verse for this series. This is more than a memory verse. Like this is the heart of the gospel. The Father, the Creator, says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, do we understand what that means? Do we grasp the hope of what that means? I hope so. I think in some ways we do, but I think after these few conversations together, we're going to be in a new place with it, a deeper place with it. That's my hope and my prayer anyways. And I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to be honest with you today. I've been a pastor for six years now, and I've never been brave enough to do what I'm going to do today. I've never been brave enough to do it. I'm always talking about the coming wholeness about the kingdom come, right? We all talk about that a lot around here. We talk about the coming shalom. But I've had a fear around a lot of specific teaching about it. I have. I've been nervous that I am not fully capable of properly painting a picture of what this union of heaven and earth will be. One, because I might not know exactly how it's going to be. And two, because it just feels really important. Like it just feels really weighty and important. And I have had a bit of a fear about a lot of specific teaching and I'll tell you why. I'll really tell you why. Okay. Because when I start really digging into the scripture and really studying what Jesus and Peter and Paul and the apostles and the prophets really taught about the union of heaven and earth, 
There are some times where I start to think this feels too good to be true. Feels too good to be true. Have you ever had that thought about heaven, about the kingdom coming, that it might sound almost too good to be true, that you don't want to get your hopes up? Because what if you hope for something in the kingdom come and then it doesn't come to pass and you would have to deal with that disappointment for eternity? And so I think some of us have some fear around hope itself. I think I have in the past. My mind has done that sometimes. I think that it does it less now. I hope that it does anyway because what I've discovered, what I've discovered is that if I start thinking of something that I will think would be so grand in the coming wholeness, and I start thinking it's too good to be true, I've probably turned a corner into pride, right? Because I don't really believe it's possible for our human minds to come up with something that would be better than what the creator of the universe is doing as far as wholeness, as far as peace, as far as shalom, as far as eternity, right? I don't even think it's possible for us to conjure something that could be better than his perfection, right? I know Jesus. I know his love for me. I know his love for the creation, right? As much as I can know it in my human self. And because of that, I know this. Any goodness or joy or wholeness or shalom that I can think of in my finite human mind is really only a glimmer of the complete joy and wholeness and peace and restoration that is coming. And that is the truth. And it's the truth for you too. It's the truth for you too. So I'm inviting all of you guys today to be brave, to be brave, to put aside your fear of hope just for a little while, just for a few minutes this morning. And I invite you to open up your heart and believe that the good father that we just sang about truly wants your full and complete restoration and healing and wholeness, not just yours, but for the whole world to believe it a little bit deeper today. Because the reality of God's kingdom coming to earth will only ever be better than anything we could hope for. It will only ever be better. So my hope today is that we grasp it, right? That we lean into it, that we like literally look it right in the face and allow hope to be a little bit more real in us because we're going to hear hope whispered and we're going to hear hope proclaimed and it's not from our human selves that we're hearing it. It's from the Spirit of God who is with us today in this room. It is not too good to be true, okay? So let's lean in. Today we're going to talk about the new creation, the new earth, so what I mean by that, the new creation, I mean the planet itself, this planet, and the beings on it, and the way the beings on it interact with each other. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the new creation, the new earth. Now, we know that the earth itself, the planet itself, also experienced the fall in Eden, right? It wasn't just the humans that were put under the curse. It was the earth itself. Let's read this from Genesis 3 so that we can see it in the scripture. Genesis, Genesis 3, 17. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. 
All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Did you hear that? The ground itself was cursed. Thorns and thistles and weeds and struggling and striving at the earth, right? Scratching at the earth. That's all part of the broken creation, right? It's all part of what will be made new one day. Now, I thought it important to read that scripture to you all to make sure that we all see for ourselves that the earth itself was cursed. But part of me feels, I will tell you, part of me feels like everyone already inherently knows that, right? And the reason why I feel that way is because I grew up hearing a whole lot about how weeds and thorns and thistles were part of the curse. Because I grew up on a ranch, right? And we had lots of flower beds and lots of gardens. And I will tell you, it takes lots of work. And I can remember from a small kid being out there with my dad, he would teach me how to weed because there is most certainly a proper way to weed and an improper way to weed, in case any of you would like to know that. Um, And I became quite skilled at the removal of weeds, but I always remember my dad saying that they're part of the curse. And so I just kind of grew up knowing that, right? But just in case, we all need to know that today. Now, in Michigan, it's just a thing. I don't know if it's such a thing in Florida growing up. I guess my children haven't had to do a whole lot of weeding, but we might have to remedy that. But I will tell you, I stopped having to do a lot of weeding um, after I... I guess it was after we got married and had kids and we could afford like a yard service to do our work, our grounds at our home. And so in the last like 10 years or so, I've had to do very little weeding myself. It's not really a thing that I do. If I notice that there are weeds in my flower beds, I just tell Chris, like it's time to tell the yard guys that we had to take care of some weeds, right? And so the weeds have been existing this whole time, but they didn't cost me much. They didn't bother me much. I kind of just didn't have to deal with them, but they existed. However, last Sunday after church, I had a different sort of experience. So I was here at church all day, I went home, and there was like hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. It was just like one of those, wow, this day probably can't get any worse sort of a day, right? It was a really hard day. I got home about eight o'clock at night. Well, no, six o'clock at night. There was still light. Got home about six o'clock at night, and I looked out into my backyard. Now, for those of you who don't know, we are about to put our home on the market, and they were coming Monday morning, bright and early, to take pictures of our home to sell it. And we had told our yard guys that we needed the weeds weeded before Monday. And I was, like, confident that it had been done on Saturday. I hadn't been home until late Sunday night. So I was, like, not worried. Like, they always do it. But I looked out there, and lo and behold, there were weeds everywhere. Like, tons of weeds in our beds. It was, it was not okay. It was like the realtor had given us like five things to do, and that was one, and it wasn't done. And they were coming in the morning, and it was too late to call anyone, do anything. And so I was like, what am I going to do? So I sat there and stared at the weeds for a few moments, and then I decided, Melody, if you think you're tough enough to survive Eco Challenge Fiji, you can probably be tough enough to go out into the yard and pull some weeds. So I make my way out there with my weeding bag. Now, mind you, it was raining. Not like heavy rain, but like rain. It was raining. It was almost dark. And I am bent over, pulling up the weeds in the way that I know, not the easy way, the good way of pulling weeds, okay? 
There are ants crawling on me. There are mosquitoes biting me. There are worms in the dirt. I'm like, this is just really stinky. I was not, I had a very bad attitude, a very bad attitude about the weeds. And then my back was hurting, and then I was getting dizzy from bending over, and I was like, this is the worst. This is definitely the worst that this day is going to get. And then, people, <laughs> then I looked down, and I saw a frog, a giant frog. Now, listen, I know that frogs are not part of the curse, as we just read in Genesis. However, they were one of the ten plagues, so I'm pretty sure that they're just as bad as the curse, okay? Frogs, I will take any creature over frogs, any creature at all. Give me a snake. I don't care. Frogs are the worst. No, we cannot have a snake. Okay, well, I don't like frogs, okay? And it wouldn't jump away, and I was kicking at it and throwing things at it and was just sitting there. Anyway, yeah, it was a very rough time. And at this point, when I'm looking at the frog, I'm getting covered in mud. The weeds, are, it's taking me a very long time. And it was like one of those points, like in a movie, where like the storm is crashing down, and you're covered in mud. And I'm like, I think I'm about to have a breakdown. I don't know. This is the end. And then, and then, I heard this little voice in my mind saying, so much for the recreation of all things. So much for that. doesn't seem to be recreating you very much right now. Like, look at your nasty attitude. Literally, all you have to do is be out here pulling weeds. And it was a very, very nasty self-judgment that was happening. But then, I started to think about what I was doing. And I started to think about it in the context of this whole conversation about the earth being made new. And I started to think about these weeds and about how it mattered to me a little bit more. Now that I was out there in the dirt, in the bugs and the frogs and the rain and the mud, pulling these weeds, it mattered to me more that one day we won't have weeds anymore, right? And it, instead of it becoming one of those horrible scenes of a breakdown in the movies, it became one of the beautiful ones. Because suddenly, not only did I care that one day we won't have to fight the weeds anymore, but I also cared about participating in putting my stitch back into the mending, in pulling one weed, not, not feeling like this isn't going to matter because these weeds are going to grow back next week, but in feeling like it, ma it matters in this moment because I'm participating in shalom. I'm participating in wholeness. I'm participating in making things new and beautiful again. And so yes, I pulled the rest of the weeds that night and I had a bit of a transformation in my attitude. And I think, guys, there's so many places in our lives where we could do the same thing, where we could see our participation in adding a stitch back into the mending as something beautiful instead of something draining. Now, I will tell you, as another point, um, putting our stitch into the mending takes a toll. So we had a little bit of an entertaining end to this evening because I was out there alone for multiple hours in the rain, in the dark, pulling weeds. And I had had a good attitude by the time I was coming back in. But I was covered in mud. Like, I am talking, my arms were brown, right? My, I had these big boots on. So I was worried about entering my home because I didn't want to get mud everywhere, and we have these curtains that, um, <laughs> that were covering the window. 
So I was like, I gotta get in here without touching the curtains and putting mud on them. So I like maneuvered the sliding glass door with my elbow and then like with my other elbow, I was like inching the curtains back so that I could get my arm through and not get mud on the curtains. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I don't know exactly how it looked to the children, but they saw like this nasty arm like shoot out from behind the curtain and Brenna screamed and she's like, mom, I thought it was a zombie because apparently I looked like zombie arms. I don't know. So I'm like, it's okay, it's just me. So then I come into the house and Kayla looks at me and literally starts gagging. Yep. She said, mommy, you smell like mud and gagged and ran away. So that's how that went. So I just say that to say, it does take a toll. It does, it, there is a cost to putting your stitch into the mending. Okay, you gagged once, thank you. All right, so with that story in our minds, with that perspective in our hearts about the reality that one day, I, I think we all know that the earth made new is not just about weeds, right? But even that little piece matters. How much so does the rest of this conversation matter? When Shalom was first violated in the Garden of Eden, the kingdom of heaven was ripped away from the kingdom of earth, right? There was a tear. There was a separation of realities. The, the very fabric of reality itself was ripped. That's why we talk about putting our, our seams back into the mending when we talk about it being made new. But since then, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has existed alongside earth, but not as a part of it, right? It's existed alongside, but not as a part of it. Now, there's a show that's been out on Netflix for a while called Stranger Things. Don't know if you've seen it. Kids, I hope you haven't because it's a little creepy, okay? But in this show, there is a parallel reality called the Upside Down, the Upside Down. And in the Upside Down, it's evil, it's dark. There are monsters everywhere. And it, it looks like our world, right? It's the, same, it's the same topography, the same buildings, the same place. But instead of it being a normal world, it's an evil one. It's a dark one. And there's no light and there's no goodness, right? And in the show, people find themselves coming to these thin places where they can cross over into the upside down and they have to like stop the monsters from coming into our world, right? But when they come back into our world, they never know quite what's happening in the upside down and there could be like a monster right there just in a different parallel reality, right? Now that's super scary and weird, okay, and completely imaginary, but it might help us think if we turn it on its head for a minute, it might help us imagine the kingdom of heaven, right? What if there was a parallel universe that existed right alongside ours? But instead of it being the upside down, where everything is dark and scary and evil, what if in this one everything's right side up? And everything is light and good and beautiful. And everything that we see is not just a, a broken representation of what it was meant to be, but it is actually what it was meant to be in every place, right? The right side up, there, there is. That is the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom that was ripped away in the garden. And that is what God is promising to restore one day, okay? The kingdom of heaven is not a faraway place that we will go one day. It's here, and it's coming here. 
And that is the wholeness, shalom, restoration that God promises. Because this earth is a colony of heaven, right? And it will be one day restored to its full glory. Let's see what Paul says in Romans 8. He writes, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The creation itself was cursed, and the creation itself longs for restoration, okay? So we're going to look at three promises today about the creation being made new. And remember what I said at the beginning, it might sound too good to be true, but hang in here with me. Let's just look it right in the face, because the reality is, it is true. It is true. Now, this is a quiz for kids and adults, because this is a tricky word. Does anybody remember last week when Pastor Benjamin taught us about this, the Greek word that he used for the restoration of all things. Anybody remember? Oh, they already put it up. Well, great. <laughs> palingenesia. The palingenesia. I'm going to put up a definition from Strong's Lexicon. Renovation. Regeneration. The production of a new life consecrated to God. A radical change of mind for the better. The word often used to denote the restoration of a thing to its pristine state. It's renovation as a renewal or restoration of life after death. When Jesus references the kingdom coming, this is the word that he uses, right? So we're going to think about three promises of the palingenesia. Number one, earth will be restored. Earth will be restored. Number two, Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be lost. And number three, evil will be destroyed. Evil will be destroyed. So let's break those down for a minute. Earth will be restored. We're talking about more than flower beds without weeds, right? We're talking about pure air again. We're talking about the polar caps restored. We're talking about oceans without trash teeming with the life that was created to be there, right? We're talking about the rainforests alive in the fullness of what they were created to be. Imagine, like just imagine for a moment, all your favorite places on this earth restored to the way they were created. Imagine it for a moment. When I think of it, I first think of Circle A, my ranch in Michigan, right? It's the place that I love most of the world, most in the world. And I do believe that I'll see it again, that I'll experience it again, that I'll eat food grown from the ground there, the raspberries and the Michigan sweet corn and the tomatoes and the zucchini and all the things we used to grow there, and they'll taste better than they ever tasted in real life, right? Think of the place that you love most. Is it mountains? Is it the beach? Is it the forest? Imagine it, restored to its created beauty. Imagine being able to look at it anytime you wanted to. Imagine being able to eat food grown from it. Imagine being able to experience God in that place without 
anything in the way. Right? You've been to those places on earth where like time slows down for a minute and you like grasp beauty in a way that you never grasped it before. Imagine that everywhere and always with nothing in the way. That's the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 65 says, pay close attention now. I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. All the earlier troubles, chaos, and pain are things of the past to be forgotten. Look ahead with joy. Anticipate what I'm creating. I'll create Jerusalem as sheer joy. Create my people as pure delight. We are invited. We are invited to look ahead with joy. Because it matters, guys. It matters. When the union is completed, the union of heaven and earth, when the, place, when the thin places between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven disappear and it all becomes one and everything is right side up again, we can only imagine the beauty that we will behold. We can only imagine it. Animals will be restored too. I believe that. We know that Jesus comes riding on a horse. Isaiah says the lion will lay down with the lamb. Animals were part of this creation from the very beginning, and I believe they will be part of the new earth. The new earth. Number two, nothing will be lost. Nothing will be lost. John Eldridge says that life is a series of goodbyes. Does that sound like it could be true? Life is a series of goodbyes. And that's hard. That's a hard truth because goodbyes are painful. Goodbyes bring us grief. They do, right? And we have felt grief in our community in recent weeks, and we will feel grief again before the kingdom comes because life, this life, is a series of goodbyes, right? And when we feel that grief so deeply here, our hope can dim. And our trust can weaken, right? But what if it's true that nothing will be lost? What if it's true that your memories, that your family and friends, and the life that matter to you here, what if it's true that it won't be lost? This is the part that can sound too good to be true, right? This is the part we wonder. What if our loved ones haven't chosen the way of Jesus? Aren't they lost forever? I cannot answer that with complete authority. I'm not God. But I'm going to read some promises from him. Isaiah 40. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. 
and no one can measure the depths of his understanding. No one can measure his love. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And if he can promise that not one of the stars will be missing, then what I'm going to do is trust him with every longing of my heart. I'm going to trust him because nobody can measure the depths of his understanding. And I'm going to do everything in this life to point the way to his truth so that the people that I love can experience his promises in this world and in the world to come, right? That's what we're going to do. Jesus puts it this way in John. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up the last day. These are the words of Jesus. This is the promise of Jesus, that no one who turns to him will be lost. And in your life and in your heart, if you turn to him, nothing will be lost. It's true, church. And the last one, evil will be destroyed. What will it be like to have evil destroyed? What will it be like? Revelation tells us that Satan and his armies will burn in a lake of fire, destroyed, vanquished forever. But, of course, the coming wholeness will have the final victory over evil itself. But let's think today for a moment. What will it feel like to, fe- to see your particular, uh, an individual longing for wholeness come to pass? What will it feel like for the thing that you most call evil to be destroyed? We may not all call it the same thing. We, We may all see evil as evil, but there are things deep in our souls that break our hearts, break our hearts, right? We are invited to personally connect with this, not just to imagine the devil burning in a lake of fire one day, but to imagine what will it be like when there is no more abuse, when there is no more violence, when there is no more child trafficking or war or famine or poverty or whatever the thing is that breaks your soul, that thing, that thing will be destroyed. It will be destroyed right? And your longing will be made whole. The prophet Malachi says it like this. Count on it. The day is coming, raging like a forest fire. All the arrogant people who do evil things will be burned up like stovewood, burned to a crisp, nothing left but scorched earth and ash, a black day. But for you, sunrise. 
The sun of righteousness will dawn on those who honor my name, healing radiating from its wings. You will be bursting with energy like colts frisky and frolicking, and you'll tromp on the wicked. There'll be nothing but ashes under your feet on that day. God of the angel armies says so. This is the promise. Evil will be destroyed. Do you let yourself long for that? Do you let yourself imagine what that will be like in the kingdom come? Because it is coming. And we're not just talking about evil and injustice in our society. We're talking about it in our own lives. We're going to get to more of this next time, but think for just a moment about your personal longing for redemption and wholeness in your life, your family, your story. What will it feel like to experience that restoration, that wholeness? Maybe it's a relationship that ended broken on this side of heaven. Maybe it's a goodbye that you never got to say. Maybe it's a story that was misunderstood and that has never had closure. This will be made whole. And your heart will be made whole in every broken circumstance of your life. Your abuse will be healed and made whole. Your trauma will be healed and made whole. Your shame will be healed and made whole. That is the promise of Jesus. It is not too good to be true. It is true. I'm inviting you today to be brave and to connect with this and to believe it. Because when we believe it, it changes everything. It changes our whole understanding of life on this earth. It changes what the one true narrative of redemption really means, right? So to close today, I want us to think of the great stories Now, of course I do. I think you all know me well enough to know that I wasn't going to go into a message about the kingdom of heaven without referencing Narnia and Middle Earth. We know we had to go there, okay? But the reason that these stories are the great stories is because they are written to reflect the greatest story, right? And all of these stories have these three parts. The world made beautiful again, evil destroyed, and restoration. Those are the elements of the great stories because that is the greatest story. So today, to close, I'm going to read a passage from C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle. And if you don't know this story, that's okay. You can go with the narrative anyways. But this comes at the very end of the story. Seven books in, this is the end. And evil has been destroyed. And the new creation has come. Okay? And this is what happens. And I invite you to let yourself get lost in this great story for a minute. Because this is the one true narrative of redemption. Imagine the day. Imagine the day when we, you and me and all of us, when we will be running further up and further in. So let's read it. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. 
This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come, further up, come further in. He shook his mane and sprang forward into a great gallop, a unicorn's gallop, which in our world would have carried him out of sight in a few moments. But now a most strange thing happened. Everyone else began to run, and they found to their astonishment that they could keep up with him. The air flew in their faces as if they were driving fast in a car without a windscreen. The country flew past as if they were seeing it from the windows of an express train. Faster and faster they raced, but no one got hot or tired or out of breath. Don't stop. Further up and further in, called Farsight, tilting his flight a little upwards. So they ran faster and faster till it was more like flying than running, and even the eagle overhead was going no faster than they. And they went through winding valley after winding valley and up the steep sides of hills, and faster than ever down the other side, following the river, and sometimes crossing it, and skimming across mountain lakes as if they were living speedboats, until at last at the far end of one long lake, which looked as blue as turquoise, they saw a smooth green Its sides were as steep as the sides of a pyramid, and round the very top of it ran a green wall. But above the wall rose the branches of trees, whose leaves looked like silver and their fruit like gold. Further up and further in, roared the unicorn, and no one held back. They charged straight at the foot of the hill and then found themselves running up it, almost as water from a broken wave runs up a rock out at the point of some bay. Though the slope was nearly as steep as the roof of a house and the grass was smooth as a bowling green, no one slipped. And when they had reached the very top, they slowed. But that was because they found themselves facing a great golden gate. And for a moment, none of them was bold enough to try if the gates would open. Dare we? Is it right? Can it be meant for us? But while they were standing there, a great horn, wonderfully loud and sweet, blew from somewhere inside the walled garden, and the gates swung open. Tyrion stood holding his breath and wondering who would come out. And what came was the last thing he had expected. A sleek, little, bright-eyed, talking mouse with a red feather stuck in a circlet on his head and its left paw resting on a long sword. It bowed, a most beautiful bow, and said in its shrill voice, Welcome in the lion's name. Come further up and further in. Let's pray. God, Will you give us courage today? Will you help us see the reality of your promises? Will you help us see the beauty of the kingdom coming? Will you give us a longing for it? A longing that doesn't go away, a longing that doesn't disappear when things get good or when things get bad. God, we want the commingled vision that sees the good 
and sees the broken, but also and always sees the future, this future God, all things made new, the earth restored, nothing being lost, and evil being destroyed. God, we want to know how to believe this. We want to know how to lean into it, and we want to know how to participate in it. I pray that you would teach us that. Teach us every day a little more what it means to see the kingdom coming, to agree with it, and to participate in it. Father, you are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May it be true. May your kingdom come. May we wait with you and work with you today. In your name we pray. Amen.